conscious we've got a big passage today, right? 5, 1, 3 to 6, 11. But I think it can get broken down into two main areas, two main themes around Jesus. We're going to see the attraction of Jesus and the opposition to Jesus. Okay, so two things, attraction, opposition. If you glance down to verse 26, you'll see the attraction, at least one example of it. This is at the end of the, the, the first half. And we read that everyone was amazed at Jesus and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. But now glance to the end of the passage, so verse 11 of chapter 6, and here we see the opposition. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were furious and began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. So do you see in the passage both the attraction and the opposition, these two things going on, this push and this pull? And that's often the case, I think, when it, when it comes to Jesus Christ, when, it, when anyone actually sort of meets the real Jesus from the pages of Scripture. We, we can see some of the things he can do, like heal the leper and forgive sin and give people a, a vision for life, and it's incredibly attractive. But on the other hand, he, he's calling sinners to repentance. He's saying, look, the way you're living your life without me, that is wrong. And there needs to be a change, a turn, repentance, come to me, listen and obey me. And so as we go through this passage today, you might want to be aware of that sort of push and pull in your own heart. Like, what's going on for you? What do you find attractive about Jesus here? Where do you feel your own sort of resistance, opposition? What's going on and why? Okay, well, here are these two things. Let's look first at the attraction of Jesus. Now, this is chapter 5, verses 1 to 26. We're going to spend most of our time here, and there are three parts to it, three miracles, the miraculous catch of fish, the miraculous healing of the leper, and then the miraculous healing of the paralytic. But first of all, let me say something about miracles in general, because I'm conscious there might be one or two here are thinking we're moving now into the realm of, sort of fairy tales and make-believe. So first of all, let's remember what genre of literature we are in here with Luke's gospel. For those who are with us back in chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, Luke goes out of his way at the beginning here to say, look, this is an eyewitness account Um, I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning. I am writing an orderly account uh, for his friend. In other words, Luke is absolutely clear up front. Like, this is is not fiction that that I'm writing. I mean, I don't believe it, but like, I'm not writing fiction. I'm not writing fairy tales. This is not some spiritual parable. I am saying that these things really did happen. And secondly, remember which profession the author Luke is in. He's a doctor, we're told in Paul's letter to the Colossians. And he knows full well, back then at least, that leprosy is incurable, that people who are paralyzed don't get up and walk. Here is a scientist writing his gospel to his friend Theophilus, saying, I want you to have absolute confidence about the truth about Jesus Christ. It would make no sense at all for him just to make this up and write things that he knows aren't true. Thirdly, For those who think that science has disproved the miraculous, bear in mind that there are many eminent scientists today who are Christian believers and who believe that behind this universe is a creator God who has established laws that can be studied and investigated. And if this creator God has come to earth, has been born into this earth in the person of Jesus Christ, then healing some rotten skin, this miraculous catch of it, this is child's play to him. 
Now, there's a lot more that can be said on this. Please grab me afterwards if you want to, but please don't dismiss these miracles completely out of hand if you're coming to them for the first time. There might be more here than at first meets at the eye. Okay, so let's take a look at these three miracles now. First of all, the miraculous catch of fish. Let me read from verse 1. We're on page 1032. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding round him and listening to the word of God. And that is because when Jesus speaks, he is speaking the very words of God. Not just as Jesus fully human, he is fully divine. And such as Jesus' authority, the words that come out of his mouth, Simon Peter, this hardened fisherman, does exactly what Jesus says in verse 5. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. Verse 6, when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that the nets began to break. So full, verse 7, they began to sink. Verse 8, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. But then Jesus says to him, end of verse 10, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. I mean, there's something just very compelling and very attractive about Jesus Christ that immediately they, they leave everything and follow him. Something about his words, his voice, his authority, his teaching in verse 1. I mean, something just by the way he may, enables them to catch this miraculous catch of fish in the boat. But also the way he says to Simon Peter, who's burdened by his sin, don't be afraid. Your sin does not hinder my purposes for you. Now go fish for people. We live in a time right now when just the slightest wrong comment on social media can get you into all sorts of trouble. It could just be a joke. It could be an innocuous comment. You didn't mean anything by it, but someone else perceived it to be offensive, and before you know it, you're cancelled. You've lost your job. You're being compelled to apologize. I mean, just look at what's happening with Dave Chappell on Netflix at the moment. Council culture can be brutal, but I hope you can see that when it comes to Jesus Christ, he is nothing like that. He says to Simon Peter, I don't want to cancel you. I want to include you. I want to equip you. I want to send you out on the greatest like, mission plan of all, the salvation of the whole world. Now go fish for people. Yes, Jesus is speaking to Simon Peter here, and yes, Simon Peter has a unique role as one of the 12 apostles. But every Christian has a role to play in this too. And you might say, you know what, I'm just not gifted for this. I'm not educated enough, I'm not articulate enough. Go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful person. And Jesus says to you, don't be afraid. Go fish for people. And so who might it be that God wants you to pray specifically for in the week ahead? Perhaps to invite to church next Sunday, even to strike up a conversation about Jesus with. Do you hear his call? Then go follow him. That's the first miracle. The second miracle comes in verses 12 to 16 with the healing of the leper. Now leprosy was an awful, dreaded disease back then disfiguring, incurable, 
described as a painless hell by one expert in leprosy because your skin is literally rotting away from you and you can't even feel it. Leprosy left you socially isolated because no one wanted to be near you in case they caught it from you. And it also left you spiritually isolated from the temple, from God, because people considered you unclean. It was horrendous. It was awful. You're like the walking dead. We are told in verse 12 that this man, do you notice, was covered with leprosy. That is how desperate his situation is. But he's heard about Jesus, and he sees Jesus, and he knows what he's capable of. And he says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And I'm not sure what you make of Jesus' response. I just find it so beautiful because there's no hesitation in Jesus' voice. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. don't know if any of you have seen Squid Game, this um, Korean drama series on, on Netflix, taking the world by storm. It's number one in 83 countries or something. I'm not going to spoil it for you. This will be uh, spoiler-free. But it is a fascinating commentary on human nature, and are we all fundamentally sort of just selfish and greedy? Is there anyone out there who truly cares for other people? And there's this final scene, spoiler-free, um, where a couple of characters are, are having this bet and debate about this homeless guy that they can see from the building down on the street. And it's getting close to midnight, it's half an hour to go, and, and they have this bet over whether anyone will be willing to stop and help this homeless guy. Now, I won't spoil it for you. You're going to have to go watch it. But I hope you can see here with Jesus Christ just how willing he is to heal this leper that no one else will go near. He reaches out to him the love and compassion that Jesus has for him. He touches him. He could have just said, be healed, be clean. From No, he goes right in and touches him. The power that he has to heal him immediately. I mean, there's no one else like Jesus. I know many of you are very compassionate people. You don't have this sort of power to heal someone. And even when you and I do have the power to maybe help the homeless guy on the street reaching out to us, reaching out to the socially awkward person outside the lecture theater at the social function, how often do we actually tend to keep our distance and not reach out to them? Not Jesus. He reaches out. He touches the untouchable. I don't know if you consider yourself untouchable here today. Socially excluded for any reason. Ostracized by friends or family. Feeling isolated right now. Alone. An outsider. Unclean. Not to Jesus Christ. He has compassion on you. He is loving towards you. He is reaching out to you right now. Jesus welcomes you here. And of course, that means that as a church, we need to be reaching out to those, whatever their social standing, social status, we need to be welcoming of all people. And if they come to church for the first time, that doesn't mean we're all going to all jump on the newcomer or guest when they come each Sunday. And if you're a newcomer and guest, you're probably planning on making a quick exit after this. But it does mean that all of us you should be looking at, hey, I don't know that person. I've not met them before. Hey, let me move out. Let me say hi. Let me reach out. Give them a warm welcome. Just as Jesus Christ has given to each and every one of us. So that's the second miracle. 
with the healing of the leper. The third is the healing of the paralytic in verses 17 to 26. Now, notice in verse 17, we are specifically told, and this is unique to Luke amongst the four Gospels, that the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal those who are ill. So when these men bring a paralyzed man to Jesus and go to all the trouble of dismantling this poor person's roof to lower him down right in front of Jesus, what are you expecting Jesus to do? To heal him, right? Is that what Jesus does? Are you still awake? No, he does not. He says, friend, your sins are forgiven. And actually, it's only after the Pharisees and the teachers of the law accuse Jesus of blasphemy that Jesus then chooses to heal the man from his paralysis. And he says in verse 24, but I want you to know got lost. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Now, there is so much that we can bring out of this passage. There's a lot going on in here. Let me draw out just one, I think, key point from this. That you and I, and every human being, desperately needs God's forgiveness. There is nothing more important in life before anything else in life, even if you are paralyzed. The key thing, the most important thing, your greatest need is to have your sins forgiven. One of the many consequences of Western society's move away from its Christian moorings is that we have lost the art of forgiveness. Because if God freely, willingly, abundantly forgives us, then how much easier is it for us to forgive each other? But if God is not there, if there's no judgment day, no final reckoning, if you harm me and offend me, well, I'm going (laughs) to make you pay and shut you up and silence you or cancel you. And that's where a lot of all this culture is coming from right now. Do you see how eager Jesus is to forgive this man? It is the first words he says to him, friend, your sins are forgiven, even when we can see the problem of his legs. And we might think to ourselves, why does Jesus ignore that? We do not realize just how serious sin is. Sin separates us from God with eternal consequences. It separates us from each other with temporal consequences. Sin makes a mess of this world, and that's why we need this UN Climate Change Conference starting in Glasgow today. All the problems of this universe, all of them can be traced back ultimately to the problem of human sin. Not anyone's individual sin, humanity's sin, stretching all the way back to Adam and Eve the spiritual disease in every human heart. And so Jesus Christ goes right there with this man. Friend, your sins are forgiven. Now, I hope this comes as a reassurance to any of us here who are feeling weighed down by the burden of sin in any shape or form, just the guilt you're carrying, you can't seem to move on from it, the shame you're feeling from the things you've said and done, perhaps this week, perhaps even earlier today. And you're thinking, where am I with God? How does he feel about me with with this? Do you realize what Jesus' first words to you are as you come to him in faith? 
friend. Not fool, not failure, friend. Your sins are forgiven. They are paid for, they are dealt with. You have a fresh start. The slate is wiped clean, let's move on together. You don't need to clean your act up before you come to Jesus. You certainly don't need to pay any penance. This man, he just comes to Jesus in faith, and so can you too. And be absolutely assured of those words to you right now, friend, your sins are forgiven. Well, if that's the attraction of Jesus, let's move on, secondly, and look at the opposition to Jesus. This will be a substantially shorter point, you'll be pleased to know, um, because as I mentioned at the start, there is this, this push and pull when it comes to Jesus, and there's certainly a lot of push in this second half um, of the passage. You might be feeling it too, so let's take a look at it. The opposition at this point in the gospel comes exclusively from the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. These are the religious leaders of the day. It starts in verse 21, we've seen this already, with them accusing Jesus of blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Their theology is right. Only God can forgive sins. They're just not right about Jesus Christ. They haven't worked out who he is yet. The opposition then continues in verse 30 as they complain about why Jesus hangs out, eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners. And they're yet to understand why Jesus has come, who he's come for. Briefly, in verses 33 to 39, the complaining continues around fasting and praying, and Jesus basically says to them, you don't understand the times you're living in. And then in chapter 6, verses 1 to 11, there's a debate about what is lawful to do on the Sabbath, and Jesus heals this man. You think, well, that's a good thing to do. And yet the Pharisees end up furious and start plotting what to do with Jesus. Not a good thing to do. Now, at one level, I hope that these little events that I've gone through quickly just then are a reassurance to you as we see and we hear opposition to Jesus today, particularly around issues of who Jesus really is and why Jesus really came to earth. Don't be surprised by it. It is nothing new. And remember, these were the religious leaders of the day. These were the ones who studied the scriptures, who knew the Old Testament prophecies, who were waiting for the Messiah, and here he is standing right before them. And they now stand opposed to to him. And so we might think to ourselves, like, what has gone wrong? And we get a fair idea of what has gone wrong in verses 31 and 32 in the way Jesus responds to them. Verse 31, last thing we'll look at. Jesus answered them, saying, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but those who are ill. I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. This really, Jesus is really exposing where the Pharisees are coming from. Jesus is not saying there are any righteous people, right? But he is saying that he's come to call sinners to repentance. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they see themselves as the good people. They see themselves as the spiritually healthy. They see themselves as the morally righteous ones. So why on earth is Jesus not hanging out with them rather than with the tax collectors and sinners? And the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they have failed to grasp, despite all the teaching of the Old Testament, that they are sinners too. That no matter how religious you are, and they were very religious, and no matter how hard you tried to keep God's law, law, and they did, you are always going to fall short of God's perfect standard. And they need God's forgiveness too. 
but they just don't get it, they don't see it. And just like a healthy person will never go to the doctor, so if you think you're a spiritually healthy person, you will never go to Jesus Christ. And that's why I didn't have very much to do with Jesus for the first 22 years of my life. Because I thought Christianity was all about being good. Jesus is good, I need to be good, I am pretty good. What do I need Jesus for? And it wasn't until a friend at university pointed to me to the eyewitness accounts like this, passages like this. Oh, did you know that Jesus come not to call the righteous but sinners to repentance? Oh, really? Oh, he loves you. He's come to die for you, to pay for your sins so you can be forgiven, so you get a relationship with God restored. My goodness, is that what Christianity is about? And suddenly, Jesus came a lot more attractive to me. So as we close... Can I ask, do you see your need, your greatest need for God's forgiveness? Because if you do, Jesus will come very attractive to you. I'm conscious that for some of you here, maybe you're looking into Christian things, there'll still be that resistance going on, that opposition. Jesus calling sinners to repent, me repair, how dare he call me that? What's he get? I hope you can see that Jesus is not doing this in any condemning way. He's doing it in a healing way, a helping way, like a doctor who, okay, might have some tough news for someone and say, look, you've got a serious disease here, but only so that he can cure the person from it. And he wants to cure you. And for regulars here who may not be feeling very attracted towards Jesus right now, there could be all sorts of reasons for that. Might one of them be that you have lost sight of the real Jesus who is always for you, who freely forgives you, who equips you for mission and wants to be with you as you're sharing Jesus with others and is calling you right now back to him, come to me in faith and then follow me for the week ahead. Well, let me pray that for us all now. Let's pray. Father God, we thank and praise you for these wonderful little vignettes of Jesus and just seeing him with people, calling Simon Peter despite his sins, sending him out on this great mission, healing the leper, reaching out to him when no one else would or could, healing the paralytic, but showing what his greatest deed is, the forgiveness of sins. And so, Father, pray that our hearts would warm to Jesus, we'd draw near to him in faith, where there is that opposition, that resistance in our own heart, would we recognize it for what it is? And please, Father, would we confess our sin to you, be ministered to by you, and then sent out with you to serve and follow you in the week ahead. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.